Hello, Marvelites. Hello, Marvelites. Damn it, Ben. What? Welcome to a special episode of This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. Very special. Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Marvel's Agent M, Vice President and Executive Editor, joined by... Marvel Digital Media Editorial Director, (laughs) Ben Morse. Still getting used to that new title. At least you screw it up every time. And we are joined by... John Cirilli. What is your title, Mr. Cirilli? I'm the VP of Content and Programming. I actually am the boss of these two guys. Yeah, it's it's a very unfortunate situation. Everything you've heard on the air to date is John's fault. Yes, and I want to thank you after about, what, seven years that you guys have been doing this show for inviting me on. Thank you so much. (laughs) We've surely invited you. You were on on the ill-fated Hulk Hogan special. Yep. Oh, true. What do you mean ill-fated? We never actually ran out of music because he didn't sign a release. That was a good one. Yeah, it was a really good one. And I did make a guest appearance on the Dave Wakeling one as well yeah. from English Beat. So there you go. You but you jerk. didn't invite me on. Uh, well, you've been invited Blake, on Blake, producer yourself. Blake invited me on. I invited you. You sit right next to me. Yeah, oh, we ask you to be on the podcast all the time. Okay, I, I understand where I stand. But <laughs> you're invited on for this episode because we want to talk about the very special Captain America uh, program that you are executive producing. What My goodness. You're right. I am doing that, aren't I? Yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, January 19th. Uh, it's going to be the lead-in to the two-hour premiere of Agent Carter on ABC. Uh, it's going to be on at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and it's called uh, Captain America, 75 Heroic Years. And we're going to take a look at one of the most phenomenal superheroes that has ever been created. Who? Uh, I think his name is Captain America. Oh, uh, and we've got a bunch of special guests on the show, uh, brand new interviews with uh, Captain America himself, Chris Evans, um, who was very gracious to give us a bunch of his time, um, and we're really psyched about it. I've been uh, working uh, hard on it with uh, Harry Goh, who is also producing, and uh, Bow and Arrow uh, Productions from L.A., who also did our Marvel 75th anniversary special a year ago, um, and it's looking pretty good. Uh, we're pretty much uh, at the final cut at the final stages, um, and I think anybody who's a fan of Cap, anybody who's a fan of Jack Kirby, anybody who's a fan of Joe Simon, um, you're going to love it. There's a bunch of really great moments with um, just the history of you know how it came together and uh, Jack and Joe working together. Uh, I'm very, very proud of it, and I can't wait for people to see it. So obviously 75 years of history is a ton to cram into one special but what are some of the overarching themes of Captain America that you guys found yourself coming back to as you're creating the special? Well, I mean, 75 heroic years kind of says it all. Uh, you know, Cap, it, when you have a character that, I think one of the most amazing things about him, and even when, you know, I started reading comics as a kid and saw this for the first time. And that was before Captain America debuted. Uh, that's right, yeah. This was in the days of... More fun uh, comics. Right. And, right. And, the and, Yellow Kid. Yeah, yes, yellow, big, yellow, exactly. big Yellow Kid fan. Exactly. Um, no, that's not true. Anyway, um, Captain America, 1941, Captain America Comics, number one. Here he is, our dashing hero, breaking into some Nazi bunker and slugging Adolf Hitler in the face. That is just one of the most incredible images that I think I've... It just remains in the back of your head. And um, it really was a statement. Um, you know, America was not at war at the time Um, of course our allies in Europe were getting trounced by this madman Um, but we were not at war and in fact um, to make a statement like that on a comic book cover was very very controversial at the time Um, so Cap from the very beginning you know this symbol of the United States of America I mean he wears the flag as we all know uh, has taken on just so many different meanings. And I think what you'll see in the show is he is a hero, uh, but he's a hero for many, many different types of people because much like America is a melting pot, um, they all can take pieces of Cap and kind of make Cap who they want him to be. I personally think one of the most interesting parts of Cap's story actually comes um, in the 60s when, um, you know, Richard Nixon was in the White House, and there was an incredible story told about Captain America when he became nomad. And if you don't know that story, I would go back and read it. Um, but Steve Englehart, who wrote that bit, um, tells a really meaningful story about why 
he got into such depth and how Nomad came about. And it's really a time when, you know, Captain America, yes, he was patriotic and he will always be patriotic, but the patriotism was not just one way and it was not just uh, I'm wearing red, white, and blue and that's the end of it. Many shades of those red, whites, and blues. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like a whole lot of stuff that we're going to cover in that special, but... You had a long, interesting road getting to being an executive producer of broadcast television. Where did you start in the industry? Great question. I know. Um, it's pretty good. That was me, Ben. I guess that's why you guys have been on the air so long without inviting me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I started at Marvel um, quite luckily, actually, uh, in April of 1996, believe it or not. Um, Hold on. Let's pause. We have Alexis here, who is our intern. Alexis, how old were you in 19... What was it, 95, 6? 96. 96? April, April of 96. I was two. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. That's great. Uh, that's terrific. And she was a Marvel fan at two because of the excellent work that we were doing uh, at Marvel in April Target of demographic, yeah. Yes, exactly. We were, we were trying, you know... Get them uh, young. Cradle the Grave Publishing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, be on the website yeah. now. Cradle the Grave Publishing. Um, that should just be the name of the company. Yeah, we're rebranding. Uh, April of 1996 yeah. was actually a very interesting time in Marvel history. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I'm starting to think about it. Uh, if you've read the book, Ben, please, what's the title of the book again um, that you loaned me that I never gave back to you? Well, I don't know because I loaned it to you. You never gave it back That's to me. That's a good point. Um, uh, the Unauthorized Biography yes. of Marvel? Yes. Uh, very fascinating look at the history of Marvel. Um, Marvel, at, in April of 1996, was about to go into a very, very dark place. Uh, we were in bankruptcy by December of 1996, um, and basically all hell broke loose uh, at the company where billionaires were fighting over the company, and um, thankfully, uh, three years later, we came out scathed. I'm not going to say we were unscathed, uh, but really marching toward um, where we are today. But to Ryan's question... How I got my first gig here was pure fluke. I was working for a local newspaper in New Jersey, um, covering local meetings and whatnot. Uh, anybody who has uh, a journalism or writing yep. a degree knows Been those there. things yep. all too yep. well. Yep. And um, I got a call from a buddy of mine from high school, and he said, uh, I have a job opening that I think you might be interested in. It was from the wife of one of his high school buddies. <laughs> Uh, Grazia Dotti, Grazia, if you're listening to this, uh, thank you again for bringing me into Marvel. But Grazia had just gotten the job as head of public relations. Um, she took the place of a woman um, who had been here for about 18 or 19 years. Oh, and this was all around, and Ryan and Ben, I know you'll remember this because you were probably reading them, the Heroes Reborn yep. uh, titles. Uh, Marvel was making a big push to promote those books uh, with Jim Lee and uh, Rob Liefeld on them. Uh, and it was basically a relaunching of the Marvel Universe, right, from number ones. Um, so when Grazia got hired, that was her main purpose, was to really get the word out about these things. Uh, she needed help. Uh, I interviewed. Uh, I was here for 45 minutes. I remember typing up a press release for her as one of my tests. And I got a call the next day, and they offered me the job. Do we give tests to potential employees? We, we should. We should. we should. I went through it. Everybody should. Uh, Alex, we just hired him. We should have it's tested not too, him. It's the not kid, too late. It's not the too late. The kid skated through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not too late. So that's interesting. The time you started and you said how you kind of, you uh, you made it through to 99, 2000 when Wait. things started to turn around. Did you? How I long did. did you last? Uh, almost three years. Well, yeah. three years exactly because <clears throat> April of 99, <clears throat> excuse me. I went through my, um, I went and took another job, but yeah. right early that year, we had announced that there was going to be a Spider-Man film, right? which was super exciting because, you know, we all knew that that was going to be one of the things that could help get Marvel right. back in the right path. Yeah. And the the legal problems behind getting a Spider-Man film all those years was just incredible. Uh, so to, the fact that we had solved it, that we're, you know, back on the right path, um, and the ownership situation had resolved itself... Um, it was actually starting to look up. Um, but there was, you know, still a lot of 
you know, troubling. We had gone through a lot. I mean, Marvel right. was on the downswing for a while. So, I mean, there was a lot of people getting let go all the time. Yes. I mean, that was a that was a tough period. That's why I was more wondering. You know, as, as this is early on in your professional life, you're getting to work at this great company, but you're having to see kind of this downside. What that was like. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point. It really, for me, look, and anybody who knows me knows that this place is a part of my my DNA now, um, and it was when I first got here, and it was bizarre, you know, as Ben is saying, it was just, we had we had three rounds of layoffs, mm-hmm. basically, in the first 12 months that I was at Marvel, and big layoffs. I mean, you're talking lots of people, um, you know, it was crazy. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. At one point, it got to, um, it was almost like a CEO of the month club, where one would come in, they'd last a few months, they would leave, another person would come in, and you just had no direction. You had no idea of what was, what you could do to help, you know, save the company and, 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 and keep it moving forward. It was very, very negative. It was so hard because, you know, the stuff that I've always dealt with, I've always been, other than that, in that first um, PR job, uh, by December of that year, I'd actually moved over to the incredibly nascent <laughs> um, digital department, which had just opened uh, a few months before. Uh, so I'd been on the the creative side of things, working with the characters. We were hoping in new ways and different ways. These were the times of AOL cyber comics and <laughs> things like that. And it was tough. I mean, with all of that, trying to think about how to bring these characters into new spaces and all of that good stuff, there was this underlying current of, are we going to be here tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how bad it got for a while. Yeah. What so? What were those AOL cyber comics? What were some of the projects you, uh, you worked on in the early digital stages? It was, I tell you, it was really fun stuff. Um, the cyber comics was actually so Amer- um, American Online had come to Marvel and had signed a deal to make original content way back when. Uh, this was again 1996. Um, this was when AOL ruled the world too, right? I yeah. mean, they had just about I don't know two in every three internet user. Yeah, uh, it, was it was incredible. Crazy. Yeah. So they so started my email, but I still use <laughs> you still use yeah. it. Both I'm, of them. Uh, me too. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. Uh, the exposure uh, was incredible. Uh, so they were actually making what they called cyber comics. I think the name actually may have come from them. I don't even really remember the origin of it. Um, and Marvel had hired a couple of editors to work closely with the AOL staff to develop these things. And they were the cool thing about them was that they were all original stories. We started with Spider Man. Um, and they had like little kind of like tidbits of what you could do with a 28.8 modem at the time. <laughs> you know, like Spider-Man could whip a web maybe, <laughs> a sound effect might happen and you could hear the sound or something along those lines. Uh, and they were fun. I, they had a following. I, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, people were really uh, very much into them. Um, and it was cool. You know, we were doing something different. It was something that, it was comics, but it was in this new space and... They weren't even really um, shaped like comic book pages. They were more along the lines of, uh, you know, the aspect ratio of a, a movie screen. Hmm. So they were still breaking them up into panels and things like that, and you could overlay panels over others and things. So the graphic storytelling part of it was still there, but it just had a different shape than what your normal comic book page had at the time. Um, and from there, we just tried a bunch of weird and different things. Um, my favorite. I'll, I'll call it failed only because we never realized it to the extent that we wanted to. But my favorite project was something called Marvel's Excelsior Theater. And what it was was us kind of playing around and trying to imagine what a radio play might have been like if, you know, the early Internet kind of existed back in the 30s and 40s and all that. And lo and behold, um, our designer, our first artist, and I'm very proud to say this because I was the first person that this man worked for at Marvel, was uh, somebody named John Cassidy. You might know him. Um, John was, I mean, he is still a huge, huge Marvel fan. You'll see him actually in the special on January 19th. The same day that this goes on the internet. The same day that this is on the internet. Uh, And John actually... um, I mean, the Captain America that he drew, it was just stunning. I mean, you later saw him when John did the Mm -hmm. Captain America books uh, in the late 90s, um, early 2000s, and just stunning stuff. And the idea was that 
we really kind of concentrated on the audio portion of it because we knew that, that we could play that again over a 28.8 56K uh, modem. Uh, it was the images that were a little bit tougher. Um, and so we got a couple of episodes up and running. The story was really great. It was um, written by uh, Joe Kelly and James Felder um, and Ben Robb, who was an editor here. Um, and John, again, had done most of the design work. Uh, he then handed it off to a really great artist down in Texas named John Lucas, who I'm sure some of you folks mm -hmm. are familiar mm -hmm. with. And John did a great job interpreting that stuff and kind of throwing his own flair onto it. And they were great. I mean, the the, the, for the two working episodes that we got up and running were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. It was Cap in World War II. There were aliens. It was wonderful. <laughs> and, I, you know, it was a fun time. You know, we got to do some really cool experimental stuff, and um, it was fun. There was a Daredevil project, too, right? Yeah, Daredevil Cyber Comic was actually a wonderful, again, one of the wonderful things that we did. So the Marvel Knights folks, uh, Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti, came into Marvel, um, I guess around two, th no, it was 98? Yeah, I want to say 98. It's 98, because I know it was after I had gotten there, uh, and they it was kind of interesting, because when they first came in, they had their own like little penthouse suite where they were able to do all their own stuff, and it was kind of you know fun to just go up there and uh, you know just talk comics with them. Um, you know, Jimmy and Joe were already very well established and, uh, you know, the direction that they were going to take Daredevil and the Inhumans and Black Panther was a really exciting, uh, you know, back then it was like, whoa, you're going to do that with them? That's awesome. So <clears throat> in talking with Joe, um, I said, you know, we got these cyber comics and they definitely get eyeballs on them. And Joe was always interested in, you know, trying new things and, and He's, he was on the internet very early on. He was always on uh, the chat boards and all that stuff on uh, AOL and things like that. And he's like, well, what do you what do you think? I said, why don't we do a, a Daredevil number zero uh, cyber comic that, you know, leads right into um, number one, Daredevil number one, which was written by Kevin Smith and, of course, drawn by Joe. And he loved it. And we did it. And I remember showing it off in San Diego uh, of that year. Um, and it was a hit. I mean, it, and it was, it's beautiful. It, I think we've put it up once or twice before Joe has, uh, since it ran. Um, and if we can actually find it, we'll try to put it back up. It leads beautifully into page one, issue one of that Daredevil series. Uh, they couldn't have done a better job. And I mean, it was, Joe's art was just absolutely beautiful in it. And again, the little hints of animation and things like that that happened in that like you know daredevil kind of jumping across the buildings was just so cool he, he really kind of took to it it was great yeah now i know they were up in the penthouse like you said but to kind of mix metaphors a bit you were in there for the ground floor of marvel knights did you get a sense that these were going to be guys who had kind of a vision to perhaps turn the company around creatively and to really take it to a new place joe eventually becoming editor-in-chief I, you know, at the at the time, no, uh, I. It was exciting. There's no question mm -hmm. about it. Uh, you know, I didn't, and you know, Joe's a visionary. And honestly, when you talk with him, he is a master storyteller. I mean, the the guy just knows how to tell stories. And of course, he's one of the greatest artists that's ever existed in the business. Um, so you knew that there was something really, really special between Joe and Jimmy and the people that they were bringing in on these projects, I mean, all this stuff looked gorgeous. You know, when you first started seeing it, like, just roll out, you're like, holy smokes, this is this is unbelievable. I mean, to this day, I don't know if anybody's, and no disrespect to any of the other artists, but, um, you know, I don't think anybody has drawn the Inhumans as good as uh, Jay Lee mm -hmm. uh, drew the Inhumans. Um, mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Um, so... It felt new, it felt fresh, it felt like where Marvel really did need to go. Um, there was, I think, uh, a grittiness to it, a realness to that stuff that, um, you know, we've never looked back from that. Um, but no, I didn't, I honestly didn't see it at the beginning. But, but again, there was so much craziness happening at Marvel that this kind of breath of fresh air, it was nice. It was like, okay, great, you know, I think people will finally be looking at this stuff again. 
thank goodness with you know bright eyes and um but you know I, I, it all went well um and deservedly so i think you know what, what joe did in terms of after he became editor-in-chief and all that speaks for itself uh talking about the craziness of marvel at the time i believe you worked with a young man named frank thierry <laughs> Uh, no comment. No, of course, <laughs> I, I, Frank and I, I'll tell you a funny story about how I you met You have to Frank. take credit for John Cassidy. You have to take blame for Frank Thierry. That's the rule. <laughs> That's I, I, you know, no, I will not because Frank existed <laughs> at, uh, at uh, he existed in within the enterprise of Marvel before I actually got there. Yeah. Before so John before John continues, Frank Thierry is currently writing our Black Knight mm -hmm. series. He's closely associated with the character of Wolverine. Wolverine very closely. Um, he's he's done a million things, not just for us, but all around the place. He's comic book writer of many years, but continue. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, you know what? He deserves it, too. Let me boost him up a little bit more. He wrote Marvel vs. Capcom 3, uh, the video game. He's written episodes of Ultimate Spider-Man Spider mm -hmm. yeah. uh, for TV uh, on the Disney uh, XD channel. Um, Frank is a very well-established, uh, respected writer in the business, and one of my best friends, honestly. I've, I've known him for a long time. Uh, but I met him uh, in late 1996, early 1997. Um, he had come into my office and basically had introduced himself and said, you know, I was doing some work for Ben Robb, who had had my position in Marvel Digital right before I took it, uh, and I was wondering, you know, if you had any openings for writers and things like that. And I said, sure. I said, you know, I'm just getting my, my feet wet here, but I'm sure once I figure things out, there'll be stuff to do. And I, at that point, was in this really weird office. It didn't have any windows. It was near like, it was like a broom closet. It really was. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that was missing were the mops and the brooms. What office was this? Where was this? This was at 387 Park Avenue South. Okay. Um, so two it, offices before previous. Three offices. Three offices. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, 387, I think it was, th yeah, three offices before. Um and so yeah i'm in this broom closet and there's no natural light in there i just have a couple of lights it's very dark in there and behind me because as you gentlemen well know i'm a big baseball fan <laughs> i have a portrait framed of babe ruth in a yankee uniform signed no wasn't signed oh. just nice shot of ruth so frank who is a big yankee fan and spoilers john's really not a big yankee fan <laughs> uh Immediately says to me, now the Yankees had just won their first World Series in 1996 in almost 20 years at that point, right? So Frank thought he was going to just get himself really close and tight with me. He goes, so, how about them Yankees? <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, what about them? He goes, you're a Yankee fan, right? I said, no, I hate the Yankees. He goes, you got Babe Ruth behind your desk and you hate the Yankees? And it's been like that since. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that must be tough. Him being a Yankee fan, you a Met fan. We we've gone to so many different sporting events, and um, there is no single sport that we agree on a team. <laughs> um, one of the other things I you mentioned was going to Comic Con in would have been '98, I guess. Yeah, I went. Uh, my first con was it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been '96. It was probably '97, '98. I went to about three straight years. Uh, so no, I think it was two straight years. So it was '97 and '98. A lot of our listeners, we talk about Comic Con all the time. You know, I mean, we do so much coverage, but they have this perception of Comic Con as this giant event that encompasses a whole city that is full of movie stars and TV stars and 6,000 people in a room to waiting all day for one trailer and all this crazy stuff. But it wasn't like that all the time. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. But that is a perfect description of what happens now. I think <laughs> yeah. uh, everybody can attest to that. But yeah, it, this was weird. And the thing is, you know, if you talk to people even older than me and that had been attending, you know, let's say even five years before I did, or certainly 10 years before I did, there, there was, you know, it was basically... You know, and I think we all grew up with this, no matter what age group. You had that one guy at a flea market or whatever that was selling comic books, or you had your your lone comic book store that was in your town, and, you know, you made some buddies there, and maybe you knew the guy behind the cash register or whatever. Um, that's a lot about, like, what San Diego was like. I mean, it was a lot of those people all congregating in one place. 
And, you know, Hollywood really had not gotten involved yet, uh, not to the extent that it, it is now. Uh, there was some stuff, but they didn't really understand yet the power of those people. Uh, you know, us and that we are rabid, rabid fans and we will get behind things and we will spend money on stuff. And they probably understand that all too well now, but it was really just just starting out in 98. Uh, but it was still a big, it was a big event. I mean... If anybody's been out to San Diego and you've seen the convention center, the convention center was, I think, a third the size of, it, of what it is now. They kept adding on to it specifically because of Comic-Con and how big it has become. Um, but it's a wonderful experience, and if you ever get the chance to do it, do it. You're going to meet people that you will probably know for the rest of your life um, just on a single visit. Um, it certainly has been that way for me, um, and... You know, for us, we've been able to do some really cool stuff. Um, the, the, the fact that we do a live show from there now, you, you, if you asked hmm. that of me in 1996, I would have been like, or 97, I would, I, I had, there's no possibility that that was even in the realm of thinking. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's been uh, quite a road and good for Comic Con and good for the industry. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, to see just the amount of TV shows and the amount of stuff uh, that comes into the theaters uh, all year long now, it's heaven, mm-hmm. right? I mean, as a kid, could we have ever even imagined that we would be able to see this stuff? And being produced at a very high level and um, things that you actively are waiting to see very, very eagerly. Um, it wasn't like that. No, not at all. So to continue down that road a little, what led you away from Marvel and then what would eventually bring you back? What was kind of those in-between years as you went and had some different experiences? Well, that's a great question. I mean, if I think if I think if things uh, had been a little bit more stable at Marvel at the time that I was there early on, I, I didn't want to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really didn't. This, I'm like, geez, I worked for Marvel. The only thing that could have been better was, you know, playing third base for the New York Mets, I think, no. for me at that point. So there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> Who's there? J- Jared Wright. Yeah, Jared? that that guy. Peter Cottontail. Yeah, I um, I I don't have that Roy Hobbs in me. I don't have the Roy Hobbs physique either. I don't know what that is. No, uh, right. Yeah, the natural kids. Uh, uh, Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. Oh, he busted geez. the ball out of the. He did. The leather. Anyway, it's a good movie. You guys should see it if you haven't. <laughs> um, but getting back to where we were. Um, I left Marvel because of the disarray that it was in. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I left willingly. Um, At least you have that. Yes, I, that's true, because there was a lot of people that did not leave willingly. Um, and I went on and, you know, I went on to, I did a bunch of different things. Um, I went to Playboy immediately after that. I was in Chicago for nearly three years with them. Um, that one I did not leave willingly. Um, but. Uh, after that, it kind of opened my eyes to, um, hey, there's a really big world of digital stuff to do out there. And and when I came back to New York, I ended up hooking on with an um, ad agency uh, with a former boss, boss of mine at Marvel who kind of took me in, and I was working on these things that I'd never even thought I would work on, big, giant government websites and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it was interesting because I saw it from the ad agency side of things and it was something that I had never seen before. And the ad agency mentality is much, much different than what we do here in terms of content and all that. It is, but I find that in in what we do on a daily basis, you and I and, and Ben and the rest of our team, how influential that is, even if you don't notice it, no how influential that experience was just listening. We had a conversation today and we were putting together some ideas and like that side of your background and your career was in full force. And I think we got to a much better part of what we were trying to do simply because you had that experience. Uh, It's, it's, it's true. It helped enormously, you know, to see it from the other side. um, Advertising is, is a weird game and I didn't study it. I was a writer coming out of college. Um, but to see what an advertiser does and the thinking that goes behind trying to get somebody to do something is utterly fascinating. 
And, you know, we saw glimpses of it in Mad Men and, you know, Don Draper's, you know, brilliance. And But to actually see it in action and to see all of the research that goes into things and before they make a simple decision to, like, you know, utter a two-word phrase, it's it's unbelievable. And um, it was exciting. And then at the same time, I picked up a couple of days with College Sports TV, which was a brand-new network that was... Um, it was started by the same guys who did Classic Sports that was eventually bought by ESPN, um, one of our sister companies, and is still running. College Sports TV ran for about two and a half years. They did some really smart stuff. They basically went to all the colleges and said, listen, all these other sports that nobody cares about at the time, uh, we'll run it. Uh, we'll put it on air. Uh, at this time, it was easier to get a little uh, get onto cable uh, systems and whatnot. Uh, and that's what they did. They already had this pedigree of starting the um, classic sports. They did it with college sports. They were basically getting rights to events like women's volleyball and men's volleyball and um, in some cases women's basketball for nothing. They were just like, yeah, you want to show it? Here, there you go. Uh, and they did, and they ended up building like one of the biggest websites that was dedicated to uh, college sports and sold that off to CBS, uh, became CBS College Sports, and then now they've just kind of integrated the whole thing into all of what CBS does. But it was fun. So in one place I'm, I'm working for an ad agency, and in another place I'm working for um, a content, you know, a, a content mill. I mean, when you're talking about college sports, you're talking about we were pushing literally thousands of stories a week, some coming directly from AP feeds, some coming directly from our own content providers. It was insane. Um, but volume it was pretty cool i mean you know day in day out it was just amazing and i just remember sitting watching college football games all day on saturday <laughs> and waiting to like you know update a story <laughs> with the proper headline and the proper winner and all of that and must have been tough yeah, yeah that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah in terms of uh difficult jobs it was not that difficult <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun i'd have two tv screens up and uh you know my little computer up and running and um, just updating scores all day long. It was it was good, and I didn't pull any Steve Harveys. <laughs> so what brings you back to Marvel? Wait, wait. There's a oh, you missed so a sorry. step. You missed a step in there somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. So from that, I went to uh, WWE. There you go. We always talk about wrestling on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah it makes be, sense. Makes I'd sense. I'd be remiss right. to to mention you had a stint at, at WWE. Even met Dave Batista somewhere along the line. That's there right. And stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I I was. I got, I mean, I by the time that I started working for WWE, I had probably not been a fan in God knows how long. Yeah. I, it had been forever. Loved it growing up. My uh, father and uncle uh, ran a restaurant that I worked in growing up. Uh, I have two older brothers. They also worked in it. Um, and we knew one of the um, referees for WWE. His name was Mario. And Mario would bring wrestlers by mm -hmm. all the time. This was in New Jersey? This was in New Jersey. Um, and they would, you know, at the time they were doing shows still at, like, high schools and things like that. Mm. Um, but, I mean, you name it, uh, especially in the early 70s, anybody who was anybody came through that restaurant. Uh, Captain Lou Albano, Freddie Blassie. Um, um, but my favorite, Bruno San Martino, uh, which was uh, one of the most incredible things that, has ever happened to me was meeting Bruno and being able to speak with him, speaking Italian with him. It was amazing. Uh, he brought Dominic DiNucci with him, and so uh, he sat there um, with my father and my uncle, uh, the two of them, and they probably stayed there for like six hours. Wow. I don't even know how my father and uncle cooked that night because they were <laughs> drinking too. <laughs> so, And Bruno was just the nicest guy in the whole freaking world. And that was only topped by the time Mario brought Andre the Giant oh, to the yeah. restaurant. And Andre was, Andre, it still brings a tear to my eye because I loved him as a kid. Uh, he was just an amazing, an amazing performer. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I met him when I was about 15 years old, I guess. He was the most enormous individual that you can ever mm -hmm. imagine. Mm -hmm. His... Because, you know, when he wore his hair long, too, and it was kind of, like, spread out a little bit, I don't, the circumference around his head must have been about, like, six feet. I mean, it was just <laughs> enormous. And 
he had a special car that Mario would drive him in um, that he basically would take up the whole back seat of like this, I don't know if it was a Lincoln or a Cadillac or something along, along those lines, but it's sort of like a limo looking thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not quite as big. Uh, but when I got to WWE in uh, September 2006 and I got to know the likes of Michael Cole and everybody there, um, they would tell me stories about Andre and it just made me want to cry even more because Andre's life was not an easy one. No. You know, imagine being his size and you, all of you wrestling fans know there's no off-season in wrestling. It's 52 mm -hmm. weeks a year. Andre worked 52 weeks a year. Andre traveled 52 weeks a year. To get Andre onto a plane was no easy feat. Mm. Um, he had to make sure that he didn't have to go to the bathroom on the plane right. because he could. physically could not fit in the bathroom. Yeah. So he suffered. I mean, Andre, Andre, for what he did and how he did it, he suffered. And um, it's, he's just an amazing story. And I hope, I hope that they do a bio on him and that they get it right because it's truly a fascinating story. And, hell, Princess Bride. I mean, yeah. I'm glad. I am so happy that he had that crowning moment, you know. There's a, there's a display up in uh, Stamford in the WWE offices. I hope it's still there. It was, I forgot what floor it was on now, but it wasn't too far from Vince's office where it was just a glass case and it was in this sort of recessed wall and there was mirrors all around the recessed wall. And all it was was Andre's boots. <laughs> and it was just so freaking cool. So freaking cool. There's a there's a really great uh, Andre biography, mm -hmm. uh, a comic actually comic book biography of Andre the Giant by this guy named Box Brown. It's really good. Tells oh, a bunch what of was those, that mean? Like two years ago? Yeah, something maybe? like that. It's really good. Yeah. Box is a great. He's a big wrestling fan, good cartoonist. Um, but yes, so going from WWE, what brings you back to Marvel? So that's fine. That's fine. Get it back. Um, so in answer to you both, because you know I don't want you fighting. Um, because, you know, I love all my children. Um, <laughs> uh, the, it's, it was funny. I, as you guys know, and I, I don't want to say too much because um, it was an experience, but WWE can be a tough place, um, and I enjoyed what I did. Um, but I got a call from Dan Buckley, who is, of course, president of publishing, here uh, and he's also president of Marvel Television uh, amongst other things he runs the brand and all that and Dan and I have known each other from uh, my earliest days at Marvel he was actually at FLIR with uh, another fellow um, Marvelite who was out in the west coast now Mike Pasciullo and I met Mike and Dan when they were working for FLIR FLIR used to actually be part of the Marvel family mm -hmm. uh, way back when um, and we just hit it off uh, I just knew Dan really well and he ended up working in Interactive for a while before he went off to do other things. Uh, and we just had always stayed in touch, and he gave me a call. I was only about, I don't know, six or eight months into my WWE uh, stint. And he called me and he said, listen, you know, we're making some changes here, and, you know, it looks like we're going to finally really move heavily into digital. Would you be interested in coming back? And I said, of course. I mean, never wanted to leave in the first place. And uh, that's pretty much how it started. Um, I think, Ryan, you got hired probably, I don't know if you were there already when he called me or not. but Well, so it would, I, I started about a year, almost within a couple weeks of, of you. Right. So I started, yeah, October yeah, 2006. Right. Late October 2006. Right. And so I, I, never, I never realized that part of Dan calling you that early. So it would have been right around the time that I was starting to get hired and the plans were starting to get yep. formulated. Huh. Yep. And then just Dan calls you up, but what? So then there's what? Almost a year. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there, but a little less. I mean, um, a little less. And then you know, I came in and I interviewed, of course, with John Dokes, uh, who John was also from my first round here at Marvel, uh, a very close friend. Um, and I interviewed with Dan, um, which was an easy one, of course. <laughs> And uh, Glenn Magala, who is our chief mm -hmm. information officer. And thankfully, I passed with flying colors. And um, they made a position for me. And 
bingo, I came back. And then before I knew it, I was in an office with these two schmoes. Yeah. Were you, so you were Dream before team. him? Like, what, I, I can't came, even remember. Like a couple of weeks before, I, yeah. I came a couple of weeks before John. Mm. So it's you and I... years already. Yeah, yeah. You and I were set up working in the cubicles, and then we got moved into the office with John Right. when he came in. And then we got bumped into the Right. Office. Then they hired the big kahuna, Ira. Yep. And uh, we got... We got we got, we got shifted. Yeah, yeah. but that wasn't a bad move because no, it was just a great in a move. giant corner office. That was a great move. But we, yeah, it was the three of us in one office, right? Yep. Yep. How long was I can't even like I'm I can remember sitting there and I remember the way it looked. I remember when John Ramita Senior came by mm-hmm. and like he was he was telling us a year, right? great stories and stuff. We were there longer than a year. Wait, the original office or the corner office? No, the, the original. The, the, the original. Which is the three of us? Oh yeah, yeah, probably about a year. Yeah. And Something so then like we, that. yeah, we moved. So for listeners, it's fascinating because in our last office, I mean, we were, the company was growing and it was growing well Rapidly. past what was yep. capable in, in that small office. Oh, yeah. And we had the corner office on the floor and it was, uh, so you walked in. To the right is Stromy mm-hmm. or Harry, mm-hmm. uh, Harry Go, who was one of the executive producers of the special. Or Strami, who was one of the co-hosts of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, in front of that was you, John, mm-hmm. right? Then to your right was me, mm-hmm. my back to the window. In front of me was you, yep. Ben. No, it was across from you. Yep. Yeah. And then behind me was Margarita. 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 Yep. And we fit interns in yes. several places within that space. We had the... Uh, we had... As many as seven people working at once in that <laughs> <Yeah>. office. <laughs> and, th- and mind you, if you remember, at one point, and I don't think any of us were there when he had it, but Alan Fine, who was, of course, one of the top executives here at Marvel, had that office to himself. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. So that was his office, you know, it was the corner office and all that. Uh, and here we go, we got like seven people like jammed into this place. But I tell you what, I actually loved that because yeah. we were all within shouting distance of each other. Everybody knew what was, the heck was going on. We would not need to shout. Was the there was no shouting. Like, we we're, were in whispering distance of each other <laughs> is what it was. I remember very just like a lot of things. I remember the stock market tanking mm-hmm. when oh, we were yeah. in there and like the terror that was sort of like seizing everything. I remember uh, Michael Jackson dying. Michael Jackson dying and like then walking over to, to Dokes yep. and he was devastated yeah. uh, and then uh, Obama's inauguration I, was yeah. say, I remember, remember Obama that? getting elected and we were all there yeah. watching it uh, yep. whatever live stream it was uh, excuse me Cirilli was in Berlin for Obama's inauguration <laughs> and <laughs> I had to so find weird. a bar that like I was in the eastern portion of Berlin and they still were a little rusky if you know yeah. what I mean um, <laughs> so I walked in and I don't speak a word of German and I'm trying to like say to this bartender, American president inauguration. <laughs> They're like, what? And, and I, I had to like write down on the, a piece of paper Obama, and they're like, oh. And then they like flip the channels yeah. and they put it on for me. So I, I was I was watching it in a restaurant in East Eastern Berlin at the time. So I missed being with you guys. And that was, I mean, around that time when we were in the corner office was when you talk about the old cyber comics. You got the opportunity to do original content again. You got to do yeah. original digital comics. Now, talk about a little bit how how much of a different format it was to go from you know originating the cyber comics stuff to now having this digital comics thing to you know eventually we get to where we are now with infinite comics and things like that. But just kind of that shift, which is kind of indicative of how digital is in general. Yeah, it you know it was um, we kind of. We've kind of gone back to the drawing board a little bit, right? Um, you know, the cyber comics and all that, they were a neat and fun experiment. Um, but, you know, if you think about the evolution of this stuff here at Marvel, that was the very beginning of it. And then we went into this phase of just, let's just make comic books that people can read, right? Because mm-hmm. we were developing a reader um, that is a wonderful product. Marvel Unlimited right now uh, is, I mean, people love it. Um, because it's fantastic and in some instances when you go to Marvel Unlimited and you read those comics they look better than they do on the page mm-hmm. because of the, the light coming through them and all that mm-hmm. so you know that time period when we were making sort of exclusive you know digital first comic releases and, and stuff like that yeah, we did some pretty cool things we worked with studios we told a couple of stories stories in the MCU 
You guys got to write a story, yeah. Christmas oh, oh, stories. Yep, I had no yep. idea. Um, It'll never happen again. <laughs> probably <laughs> thanks, not. Thanks to our getting to do it. <laughs> uh, probably not, but they were great stories. Yep. Uh, Ben's was a one-pager, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and Ryan's was, it came off of Secret Invasion. Um, there was a scroll left, and yep. that was also a really great story. Um, but it morphed from that to what we're seeing has happened in the past, like, four or five years, where... As you know, we've been experimenting with lots of different um, models of this. You know, we tried the motion comics, uh, and those were cool. They they weren't, I don't think, exactly what we wanted them to be. And now we're in this phase of infinite comics, which we've already used for a lot of different things. Um, not only to tell these infinite comic stories, but we use that format to actually animate uh, a special that I did with uh, ESPN last year. Uh, where we sort of told the origin stories of uh, some of the more f most famous athletes out there. So it's not really, to me, the, the interesting part is not so much the progression, because the progression, uh, you know, I, I've been a, a bits and pieces of it, but where we're going in the future of it, because it's still wide open. And I can tell you, we still have very active discussions here of what this next phase of storytelling is going to be. And I'm hoping uh, that uh, you're going to see some really cool stuff coming from us in the next, you know, year or two. Um, because I can tell you that there are a lot of big brains uh, trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're not familiar with the Infinite Comics, go into Marvel. It's, they're in Marvel Unlimited. There's some, well, there's some in Marvel Unlimited, tons on the Marvel app. And, uh, you know, just... Read them. Uh, they're great stories, uh, first of all. Second of all, you can get a sense of, you know, what we're trying to do there. You know, it isn't that different from the cyber comics in the sense that in some instances we're trying to simulate, you know, motion and things like that. Uh, but it really opens up the canvas, right? You're not beholden to the comic book page the way it's shaped currently, right? If you're drawing and writing a paper comic, there's a certain cadence to, you know, how the panels go and the pages go and all that. This is much more like a movie screen again. And what can you do in that movie screen? Sure, you can use panels and all that, but you don't even necessarily have to use panels. So uh, it's fascinating. And I think really um, we're going to, we haven't seen the best of this yet. Yeah. Uh, so from all the digital comics, a lot of what we've done over the last couple of years, you spearheaded with video. And I think that's been an important point. And how do you get to then actually producing these specials? Because the Captain America special is not the first. How do you get into starting that part of the career? Yeah, video has been a huge part of my career uh, for a long time now. I mean, I started producing mountains and mountains of video at uh, Playboy. Um, we were publishing tons of video. It must have been tough. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can Someone, someone's got to do it. I can only imagine. Yeah, It's a hard job. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was what it was. I mean, like I, <laughs> like I say, it, it was it it was that how you would imagine Playboy being for like the first month and a half, and then all of a sudden it was a job just like anything else. Mm. Um, and it really was it, it, and it was fun. You know, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't. It was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, Playboy was in some ways a little bit ahead of its time, and in some ways a little bit behind the time, in really trying to figure out what it needed to do digitally. So. We were doing a lot of different stuff, um, and video was a big part of it, um, and it was just great. That was that really kind of got my feet wet in just being able to produce a lot of different things all at once. Um, and I, you know, I think right now the future of where we're going, there's a lot of video coming. Um, so in the process of doing a lot of these video projects and partnering with some of our sister companies like ESPN and all that. Um, it just seemed natural that um, they, they being the powers that be here, started giving me more and more work. Uh, the first network special that was produced was for November 2014, which was the Marvel 75th anniversary special, uh, which I'm very, very proud of. And again, worked with the same people, uh, Bow and Arrow, that are doing this Cap special. Um, and, you know, doing it for television and making an hour special is fascinating, too, because um, it's got a different cadence, right? You, especially for network television, you have commercial breaks, and you have to 
right for those commercial breaks, right? Because you kind of want to leave people hanging so that they'll come back after the commercial to keep mm -hmm. watching. And that plays a very big part in it. Um, it's a lot different than telling just a straightforward story that, you know, runs for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Uh, you really have to take into account uh, the breaks. And that's that was something new for me. And, you know, luckily the production house that we chose, uh, they've done a bunch of this type of stuff. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from them uh, in the process. Um, but it's been great, you know, and to have now two of these under my belt and some other great stuff with um, ESPN and all that, I've been very fortunate, you know. Uh, a lot of senses, yeah, it probably has to do with the experience and the work that I put into it, but a lot of it was right place, right time, and again, knowing guys like Dan uh, Buckley who uh, have the trust in me to be able to pull this type of stuff off. Um, there, there seems to be sort of like, uh, you know, if it's fiction, it's going to come out of the studios group or the television group. And then if it's nonfiction, they've been throwing it at us, the digital people, which is a nice place to be. I mean, that, that's what we've been doing yes. for 10 years. It's, exactly. It's good. Whether it's in written form or, you know, all of the great social media stuff that we do, we are the nonfiction ex experts here. We speak for the company. Um, literally in a lot of cases um, and to be able to tell different types of stories that involve the Marvel brand um, I'm all for it you know and I as you both know I got a million of them in me so I just hope that we are able to keep doing them <clears throat> yeah pretty good it's a pretty good place to I live. like it. I could ask another question, but why, you know? Do you want to ask you another question? I don't know. I don't have another oh, question. Oh, I'm I see. In theory, I could ask another question. I see. That would just spoil that great ending that yes. we just got. Um, so if fans, for some reason, can't catch the Captain America special uh, when it airs, are there other opportunities to air, or are they SOL? Uh, <laughs> great question. I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, I have not been told. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll, there will we'll be make other sure everyone knows. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll let people There will know. be other opportunities, and when we do figure it out, we'll make sure that uh, people will find out. Because um, I, I know um, the Marvel 75th anniversary got onto, I don't know, like Hulu and all that okay, kind of great. stuff. So. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. Hulu uh, yeah. has had our specials before, so it sort of fits into that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, bucket. Yeah, but uh, you know, please do watch January 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to lead right into a spectacular two-hour premiere of Marvel's Agent Carter. Uh, and it's going to be in three-hour Marvel Spectacular, so enjoy it. Yeah. Where are fans going to find you on social media if they want to ask you questions? I follow am up. at John Cirilli on Twitter, uh, J-O-H-N-C-E-R-I-L-L-I. And I'm also on Facebook at Just Cirilli. And the Instagram. Oh, always, yes. You're always going Just to Cirilli at sporting Instagram. events. Yeah, if you people are baseball fans, follow my Instagram. Uh <laughs> I don't know how you Marvel fans keep following me. God bless you, and thank you for keeping following me because I let these guys do the Marvel stuff. And meanwhile, you know, I'm taking pictures of roast beef sandwiches and uh, pizza. People love that. I love roast beef yeah. pizza. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, thank you. Thank you for having yeah. This is stuff I didn't know about, yeah, which is cool. It was really neat. Well, this is Marvel, your universe.